you found us. I'm so glad you did, but I'm sorry that you had to. Who are we? I'll tell you what we're not. We're not old, we're not boring, and we're not giving up. So come on into our widow circle where trauma meets humor, and we remind you that you can not only survive, but thrive. This is Every Widow Thing. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to Every Widow Thing. We have an exciting show planned for you today. I'm Kira, and I'm here with Holly and Whitney, and Lacey couldn't be with us, but uh, we have a guest that I'm super excited to introduce to you. I met Dana and her husband, Robert, at the Back to School Night, and they very kindly um, invited me to dinner afterwards with some other couples at a local restaurant, Clark's, here in Austin that we all love. Yeah. And um, so, of course, when I show up and it's all couples and it's just me, everyone's kind of wondering, you know, where's your partner? Where's Karis's dad? And uh, after, I hope, a glass or two of Sancerre, I ended up telling, (laughs) I couldn't remember if the wine had come yet or not, but I just kind of dove right in and told everybody my story and my situation and which um, I'm sure brought the mood just lifted that mood up in there it's so fun going Made everybody to a new feel jolly school <laughs> or a new job or a new neighborhood or whatever it is I feel like you know I've I've gotten better at just ripping the band-aid off now and just kind of coming right out and saying this is this is the story and I'll never forget um, at the end of the dinner I'm walking back to my car Everyone was lovely, by the way. And um, Dana and Robert came up to me specifically, and they just said, you know, that they were so moved and that they were just here for me and for Karis and just wanted to support us in any way that they could at the new school. Mm. And that just made a world of, of difference for me kind of starting out that year. And um, And then, unfortunately, not like a few months after that, uh, Robert became ill, and um, we'll let Dana talk about that a little bit. I want to say, too, I remember that night so vividly. And um, when we left dinner, Robert and I talked about it the whole way home and even the next day, and I just remember telling him I can't imagine. Had and you heard the story? Like, had you heard about it? Because it was something that a lot of people just heard about because it was so horrific. They had, but I had not. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, when we invited her, we just maybe thought she was divorced. We didn't know. We're like, where's Karis' dad? Um, so it was it was very um, it was very moving, and it was something that Robert, in his infinite wisdom had always said, you know, if anything ever happens to me, dot, dot, dot. And um, it was just kind of something, I, I think maybe because of our business, like we just always had this like preparation mindset mm-hmm. and planning. And um, I just remember how moved we both were that night and leaving there. And I had no idea that um, a year later I'd be burying my husband. Mm. You know, I met Robert. Um, we both lived in Austin. I was 23 and he was 26. Mm-hmm. And so he liked to, he used to say that he cut me out of, out of the herd early. 
was it was just always funny. Um, so I mean, he was a really funny guy. Yeah. So we grew up together. I mean, you know, we weren't nineteen like you guys were when we met, but we were twenty three and twenty six, and. Um, he had been um, in the business like five years and I was working in the mortgage business and um, I we just it was such a like love story it was like from day one from their first date mm-hmm. forward we saw each other every day he was just always laughing I can still hear his laugh in fact that's one thing I wish that I had taken more videos and mm-hmm. less pictures over time like I wish I could hear his voice more did you um, save his voicemail? Like, do you have? I still have his phone. Oh, you do? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, I, I like have. You have his phone. You have his car. <laughs> no, I drove his car here. How are you wearing his shoes today? Um, no. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the shoes. <laughs> that's, that's another story. Too. I wore his wedding ring for a long time until oh, I yeah. thought I lost it. And then I was like, I got to buy a different ring to put on that finger to replace it. So, because mm-hmm. um, I thought I had lost his wedding ring, which. It was funny when he when we got it. I said, "There's no way you're going to keep up with that. You take it off when you go to the gym. You take it off when you go to the golf course. There's no way you're going to keep that ring more than a year." I just it was a bet. Well, the day he died, we took it off of him, and that was we had been married. Um, He died just the month or a couple of weeks before our 16th wedding anniversary. I remember the. we knew each other through some mutual friends, and then he was part of this thing called the Austin Men's Foundation and Trust. They used to do these charity balls, and he was part of this organization, and I um, worked for a guy who was part of it, too. And so we got introduced through some mutual friends. I'll just kind of make it a shorter story. But um, we ran into each other at a pre-party, and I had gone into his office the week before, <laughs> and I had asked my friend. I was like, I need to open up an investment account. And he's like, oh, you should call Robert. And I was like, really? Should I? Because they had said I should date him, but we were both dating other people when we had first met. And yeah. um, even though we had both kind of said something about the other one to our friends. Um, so like a year later, he's like, you should you should definitely call Robert. So I did, and I met with him. And then like the next week, I ran into him at this pre-party. And we were at Cedar no Street. Coincidences. No. Wait, you, were you, you with guys... your, were you at the pre-party with your, your current boyfriend? Th- no. Okay. So you had and... split up. So you were footloose and fancy free. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> what about him? Well, we were both kind of seeing someone, but not like seriously. Oh, okay. But we had both split up with the person that we had been seriously dating before. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He had broken up with Ashley and I had, it was, oh, John. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. So that was over. Um but when we ran into each other at this pre-party, it was like, I'll just say, we ran into each other probably like 8 o'clock. I saw some friends. I was sitting around at one of the tables inside at Cedar Street. And I was I had like four guys around that I was talking to because I knew all the guys in this foundation because I had been around for a couple of years helping with it. And um, he came up to me and he goes, Dana, you really have to come into my office more often. And I was like... What? And he goes, <laughs> and he goes, when you left, I was the most popular guy in there. He's like, everybody was coming up to my desk asking who you were and what you did. And it was just really sweet. Aww. And um, and 
let's just say from that night on, we were never apart. It seemed like um, we went to polyesters and went dancing. We went, you guys remember that place? Polyesters. Um, We went to Fado. We went to some other club. I don't know. Anyway, we ended up having a great time. And I think three o'clock in the morning, we ended up at Katz's on the list sixth. (laughs) And by the way, it did close. (laughs) It did close. It did close. The whole slogan was Katz's never closes. Mm, It closed. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, Anyway, we just, we fell in love, um, and it was an amazing love story. Mm. We were together for um, six years before we got married. We were, we dated for three, we were engaged for three, and then we were married for 16. After we got married, Robert was like, if I had known how much I love being married to you, I'd have done it a lot sooner. Oh, I remember he sweet. told me that. He's yeah. a sweet talker. Yeah. Yeah. So loving. Yeah. He really was. And um, we did wait 11 years to have children. Um, My daughters, uh, our daughters, Vivian and Ava, are um, 12 and 13. Um, They're in sixth and seventh grade now. Um, When he passed, they were nine and 11. Mm. And um, we, you know, I look back and I think, wow, if we had had them sooner, he could have watched them grow up. But you know, we waited 11 years. Um, we waited a long time. We wanted to make sure that before we had kids, we could provide everything that they could ever possibly need. This we could educate. Two financial planners yeah. getting yeah, married. I, I can see how that was. Yeah, like, very pr- you've got your spreadsheets they've out. they got it all like, figured out now. Yeah. We've got two creative out. people in my house. We're like, yeah, whatever no, I married a financial guy, so there were lots of spreadsheets and budget talks. But um and and we waited a while to have kids because he wasn't ready to look at the budget. Right, exactly. It was really, I think, a fear of making sure he could provide. Yeah. But um And that was definitely Roberts. He was a family steward like through and through. Well, like, and I think it, it, what you said about I we could have gotten married sooner or we could have had children sooner. You know, you tend to play that game a little bit when your loved one dies and you're like, oh, did we waste time? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't mm-hmm. I do, why didn't I take more video? Why didn't we have oh, yeah. kids? But the truth is everything, y- you gained a lot being together for 11 years without kids. You got Absolutely. to fully be that person for each other and Immersed no other distractions. Couple, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, with Frank, we we had kids pretty quickly. So, yeah, we didn't have that kind of as much couples. Yeah, kids do change things a little bit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we we did have amazing couple time. And um, we had been thinking that I would join his practice and become an advisor as well um, or in some other capacity in the practice after the girls were in school full time. That was kind of our thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was an opportunity for me to go in and get licensed. And we're like, OK, well, let's do it. So um, I did. And I joined like the licensing program at his firm. And um, I'm really glad I did. It's been 10 years now. And um, I helped. Um, I had been helping with the practice in a not so professional capacity, just as a spouse mm-hmm. and as someone, you know, because we did a lot of socializing with clients, you know, it wasn't all um, just meeting and going over their financial plans. Like we went to the funerals, you know, mm-hmm. of our clients and we went to the weddings of their kids and their weddings and mm-hmm. we were very involved. And it was one thing that we always said, you know, if if something happens to your spouse or, or something happens big to you, um, you know, we want to be your first call. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
you know, I had been through that and I had watched other women bury their husbands. Mm, yeah. And um, I'll tell you, I, I didn't realize until he died how I thought I got it and I didn't. Mm -mm. I just didn't. Nobody can. And I thought that I was doing the right things to support them. And I, I hope that I did. But now I look back and I'm like, I wish I could have done more, you know. Um, we all feel that way at times. Um, and you were saying that even right when Robert was kind of starting to feel unwell, you were at a client's daughter's wedding, I think. Or you were going to a wedding and he wasn't feeling up for it. Yeah. So, um you know, fast forward, we have two little girls, they're in school, I'm working, we're building and growing our practice, and Robert started not feeling well right after we met you, not long, a month or two. And we kind of didn't know what it was, he had some tingling in his fingers, and then we had um, we had a trip to New York for a Veterans Day weekend, we went to New York, we had some meetings in our executive offices with kind of our, our, our quantum team, and... Um, when we landed in New York, he was like, I just don't feel good. I feel like I have like a virus or something. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And he really didn't feel that great in New York. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's, you know, the air, you know, we get home. He's like, oh, I still don't feel that great. And we had a client's wedding. It was actually their son and now daughter-in-law were getting married. And it was on our wedding anniversary. Aww. And it was our 15th wedding anniversary. And I'm like, well, that'll be fun. Robert loved weddings. Like, ask any of our friends. He would tie one on, dance. He'd always have fun. Um, it's he was kind, kind of a big personality. It's kind of a joke. Like, Super he didn't really extroverted. drink a lot, but like. I felt like at weddings, he'd be like, you know, I was like, what are you <laughs> doing? The life of <laughs> it's, it's almost a joke with some friends. So, um, but that night he was like, yeah, I, I just don't really feel good. I, I, I need to go home. I, I just, I can't do it. Mm. And so we, we went to the wedding and we stayed for a little bit. Um, and, you know, you talk about coincidences. We actually sat at a table that night with a gentleman um, that, is a friend of our friend client, and um, he's a researcher at, at Harvard Medical, at Harvard wow. University, at the McLean College of Medicine, and he's working on it's a it's a chemo delivery system for brain tumors. Oh my gosh! So um, That's Robert's crazy. Robert's brain is actually the proto is part of the prototype for it, and so he's developed this model that has like his cranium and it, you know, it shows like a 3D image of Robert's tumor. Um, it's really cool. Yeah. So, wow. Amazing. It's incredible. Okay. So you're at the so wedding. So we were at the table with that's that man. Got, yes. That's Insane. crazy. And he's saying, I'm not going to be the life of the party at this wedding. I don't feel great. And we need to. I want to go home. Get home. Yeah. And we did. And the next day I had orchestrated this huge client event out at Salt Lick and, um, Invited all of our clients, and um, he really didn't feel good that day. And he got up just in time to come to the party, like at eleven. And when it was over at three, he's like, "I, I gotta go home. I gotta go home." And at this point, there's no real red flags coming at you. You're just like, "Oh, he's got a virus or the yeah. flu or something." Yeah. 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 So that's November. These days you'd be testing for COVID. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> that was like November 16th was the anniversary. And was November 17th was the client event. And then I was supposed to host Thanksgiving for my family. And I and, and his parents, of course. And 
I told them all, I was like, guys, something's up with Robert. I don't know. He's sick. I need to just, I need to cancel. And my sister ended up posting. So the girls and I went up to Dallas and left Robert home. But um, he quickly got very sick after that. Mm. And I remember Christmas Eve, um, I... I, I was trying to get him to go to the doctor again. Of course, we had been going to the GP and been going. And he's like, oh, it's viral. There's nothing wrong in your blood work. You know, we had done all kinds of stuff. Um, and he's like, but, you know, you're just going to have to get get through this. You'll be okay. And um, that, that was the GP. You hadn't seen GP. any specialists. I hadn't That's, seen it any It was going on for a couple months. <laughs> well, it was November. It was like basically mid-November till almost Christmas, so almost six weeks. Okay. And he's like, I'm not going to the doctor this week again. I'm not going to the hospital this week. It's the C team. <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm not doing it. It, so it was the weekend, because it was it the holiday. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's like... <laughs> That's funny. I can hear him saying that for some reason. Yeah, so he would not go. So Christmas Eve, I, I don't remember why he was drinking passion tea, I told you, because I handed him his, the mug and he, he tried to grip it with his left hand and his hand shook. And he burned his hand mm. with the tea and it got like all over the rug. And his mom like jumped in and was like with a towel. And I remember like taking it from him and I walked in the kitchen. I was like, oh, my God, something is really wrong. And at this point, they hadn't looked at his brain or anything. No. They're just doing blood work and saying it's viral. And there's no fever and there's no, nope. they can't figure out. Yeah. He just doesn't feel good. But he's shaking at this point. He's having some trouble controlling his hand. And I'm like, and I'm thinking it's MS, it's Parkinson's, you know, it's some neurological thing. And I was like, okay, we can get through this. I'm going to get him to the doctor. Um, And, you know, he kept struggling through. And then um, I guess it was the day before New Year's finally, I was like, Robert, we just, we got to go. We got to go. And I took him to the heart hospital and we walked in. The nurse was like, you have a blood clot. And then they're like, you have two blood clots. He had blood clots on both lungs. And so, uh, mm. you know, me, I get out my phone. Oh, you Google you that Google. one. Oh, no. Tumors are pro-coagulant. Oh. And they're like, oh, it's probably just because you haven't been able to work out for six weeks. And, you know, he, he was very, very active. Robert worked out like, you know, he worked out pretty much five days a week and played golf like two or three days a week. Um so he was super active, very healthy, didn't, I mean, I eat way worse than he ever thought mm-hmm. about eating. So they don't do any kind of CT, but they figure out it's a blood clot. So we go home, blood thinners, all so this. So still nothing with the brain. They still did nothing something with in the, the brain. lungs. Okay. So then. Because well, what, what would they... the lungs be about the shaking? I mean, like, well, what, yeah, would, ha- exactly. what would the lungs Fatigue. have to do yeah. with that? So. Oh, so New Year's Eve, I went to our friend Natalie and Tom's house around the corner and we shot fireworks with the girls. Robert didn't feel like doing anything and uh, he stayed home and I got home right at midnight. I think we celebrated over there at 11 and um, I went to sleep and he woke me up at 630 in the morning. He said, I've been up all night. And he said, I figured out a plan. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this for my exercise. And we're going to go to the Bahamas like we planned at spring break because we had bought, like we had already paid for our trip and all that we were going to go over spring break and with some friends that I have a place down there. And um, he's like, I'm going to be feeling better. I'm going to have this all nipped in the bud so that I can go on this trip and we can go fishing. And, and, you know, it was this plan. And it was, but first... I have to go. I have to lay down. I have the worst headache I've ever had in my life. Mm. And I said, oh, no, you don't lay down. Get up, put on pants, 
put on your pants. And I, I think I threw on pajamas. Or, you said you were in your pajamas. I think maybe. I might. I think I yeah. was. In my, I like grabbed a sweatshirt. It was January 1st. It was chilly. And I was like, put on your clothes. We're going. I said, they told me that if you had a headache, I had to come back. Oh, my gosh. And I God. said, because you could have a blood clot in your brain, get in the car now. I didn't even call EMS. I was like, just get in the car. And my kids and he are just asleep. did what you told him to do. Yeah. And my kids are asleep upstairs. And so I called our friend. I called Natalie and Tom and I was like, you guys come over. Bob and Linda can't be here. My in-laws couldn't have been there for like 45 minutes or an hour at least. And I was like, I can't wait. And so they live in the neighborhood and they came over and stayed until my in-laws got there. And um, we went back to the heart hospital and they said, okay, well, we need to do a CT real fast on your on your head to see if there's a blood clot. I'm like, oh, okay. And he comes back like, in. Now we're getting down to it. Yeah. <laughs> and the doctor comes in and he says, okay, he says, well, um, the CT shows you do have a uh, mass on your brain. I said, you mean like a blood clot? He goes, no, like a tumor. And I was, I mean, just. And he's saying that in front of the two of you. Yeah, to both of us. And, and it's just it compute us. right away? No. That, yeah. No. Yeah. And it was like, okay. Well, it computed, but it was like. You're like, okay, Shop. so what do we do when there's a mass? Yeah, yeah you just go into so then it out. like, yeah, okay, what do we do? Fix it, so he said, we need to transfer you to St. David's immediately. You need to have an MRI. And my first thing is, wait, is that the right place? Right, sure. Shouldn't we be at MD Anderson? Shouldn't we be, you know, at Sloan Kettering? Where should we be? Where should we? You know, I just jump into, no, we're going to get him the best care. Right. And um, so my first call before I call any family or anything, is a friend of mine who works in the healthcare space. And I said, where should I be taking him? Robert has a brain tumor. Where should I go? They want me to go to St. David's. And she said, I'm going to make a call. Hold on. I'll call you right back. But I think it's St. David's. I think they have the best neuro, um, you know, specialty. They have a they have a neuro ICU. They were the only one in Austin. So um, I was like, okay. And this was pre-COVID, mm -hmm. but barely. Mm -hmm. Let me just say, barely. Because it's January. This is January 1st of 2020. 2020. Yeah. Wow. wow. It all shuts down in March. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. So we spend the night in the hospital. The neurosurgeon comes in and tells us that they believe that this mass that's in his left cerebellum is some, I can't remember what it's even called now, some kind of basically mass that he's had since he was a child and it's benign. Oh man. So we check out of the hospital the next day, believing that he has a benign tumor and that that's not the cause of the, um, Blotting lung, the, the lung, lung clots. clots. Yeah. Wow. And he's still not feeling great because of the clots, but they believe that the tumor is benign because of the location of it and the shape and the way that it looks at that moment. Um, and let's make note that Robert was extremely claustrophobic. So just getting an MRI took like an ungodly amount of Valium, Valium Xanax. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. they would like, they had to like, yeah, they drank. Said, <laughs> they they were like, he needed what an elephant needs to like be knocked out. And he wow. was still super anxious about it. So, um, so when you get that news that it's benign, does that bring the level of anxiety yeah, down? Yeah. And then you don't feel like, yeah. you feel like, okay, we've got some time here. Yeah. You weren't as concerned about the blood clots that were in the lungs or whatever. That like, we can heal those. Let's let's focus on healing the lung the blood clots. Um, we go home. 
He tries to do a little bit of work for that month that we're home by the end of the month. So that's January 1st. By like January 25th, um, we had various appointments. We had seen a hematologist um, who went through like a history. We saw, um, we just saw all kinds of doctors looking for tumors, right? We're, we're like, what's They're not that? saying, I, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. I'm, no. I'm trying to wrap my head around. There's a tumor in the brain and they say <laughs> it's benign, but it's impacting every part of him. But they're saying that that's not what's impacting him. Right. All these health issues have nothing to do with that tumor. It's been there his whole life. Yeah. So no one's trying to remove it or treat it in any way. They tell us, wait six weeks. We're going to do another scan and see if it's changed. Well, we didn't make it six weeks because anybody who knows, Robert died of a glioblastoma. Glioblastomas are very fast moving um, and they grow just incredibly fast. But his was in a very unusual space. Um, right? It was, which is why they believe that it was um, benign because um, it, it, only like seven tenths of one percent of glioblastomas are in the left cerebellum. Wow. I actually talked to a surgeon at Houston uh, Methodist who told me, he said, well, I want to see the biopsy after he, he removed the tumor. He said, I want to see it and I want to redo the biopsy. He said, I just don't believe it. He said, I do 300 surgeries a year. He said, I've never seen one in the left cerebellum. I've never seen a glioblastoma in the left cerebellum. So, so back at this point, you're still, you're, you, you're trying to wait the six weeks mm -hmm. on January 25th. I think it was the 25th. Um, so we didn't make it the six weeks. I called the hospital and I had, um, I got him in for an MRI on a Monday and he just got worse and worse that weekend. And I said, okay, I, I don't, uh, and I, is he vomiting and stuff or just lethargic? And he pain? So it turns out he had hydrocephalus, which is like fluid on the brain. Mm -hmm. And what was happening was um, the tumor was pushing on um, something which was not allowing the fluid to drain off of his brain. So he developed hydrocephalus, which is like fluid. And he couldn't stand, he couldn't really move a lot. Like he was really dizzy and, um, uh, and like trying to stand up. Like I had gotten a walker for him and a cane like that week before. And like all the lights had to be off. Nobody could move. He didn't want to eat. He didn't want to talk to anybody. And just miserable. And that Sunday morning, I was like, I'm going to have to take him back to the ER. Like I can't wait till tomorrow. And, um, I remembered all of a sudden, um, my daughters ride horses, and I remembered all of a sudden that one of my daughters had been riding with a young woman. I was like, oh, her dad's a neurosurgeon. I forgot. I'm going to call him because I had called another friend of mine who was a neurosurgeon, and I didn't get him. I think he was out of town. We actually both know Dr. Stokes. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, I called James Waldron, who my daughter rode with his daughter. I actually called his wife, and I was like... I need to talk to your husband. <laughs> and I yeah. said, what should I do? Should I wait, you know, till tomorrow? You know, like I was so concerned. Mm -hmm. I was like, should I wait till tomorrow? He's like, no, you get him to the ER right now. He has hydrocephalus. He told me, he said, you need to get him there right now. Um, so we went back to St. David's um, and redid the scan. By this point, his blood pressure was fluctuating just drastically. He was very, very touch and go, very, very sick. Um so you get him to the hospital and they take him. I call EMS took him. Okay. I couldn't even get him up. Yeah. And then he gets whisked away 
and they're telling you he's very, very sick and may not make it? No. Or they're just saying he's very sick? No, I'm with him the whole time. Okay. So he was in the hospitalized for eight weeks, and I really barely left his side. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, I was with him, and we redid it, and they said, we need to go in and do a shunt. We need to go in and relieve the pressure. So either that night or the next morning, um, they went in and did a surgery to reduce the pressure. Um and to let that fluid drain. They do like a, a shunt thing, mm-hmm. I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so lots of moving parts here. Um, he's in the hospital. They tell us that, you know, at some point we need to go in and remove the tumor, but we don't know why it's growing so quickly. But the only way, you know, if you're going to do a biopsy of the tumor, it's almost as invasive as just going in and removing the tumor. So we set up a date to remove the tumor, but we wanted him to get a little bit better and a little bit stronger first. Well, and they're still thinking it's benign and uh-huh. cancers, even yeah. though it's growing. Well, we have no, we don't right. really know that it's... They don't have a biopsy. Sure, right. Sure. And it's right. an un, and it's unusual, unusual presentation. Spot, so yeah. they're not thinking. Right. Yeah. Who's with so, the girls... Mm. Are are your in-laws with the girls? Were your parents, who's with yeah. staying with the girls and what are they being told? Um, so at this point, they know their daddy's really sick. And um, I can't remember exactly. I remember, I remember her face and I remember telling Vivi one night um, when I came home um, that daddy had a brain tumor. Um, and that was after, that was the second hospital stay. Um, I I very vividly remember, and she said, "Get it out, get it out, make she them get it out." She was actually still ten. So, fast forward, he has multiple surgeries because we had to do like a filter because of the blood clots. Because he had to be off of, in order to have surgery, he had to be off of the blood thinners. Uh, blood thinners. I mean, mm-hmm. it was there were so many moving parts, and this whole time he's in the ICU. Um, and, and he's, he's talking and stuff or is he? Yeah, okay. but he's in a lot of pain mm-hmm. and he's he's very uncomfortable. Um, he's he's having trouble focusing and moving his hands. And I mean, there's a is lot. Is he making on. decisions for himself or have you taken over at this point? We're still discussing everything, but um, yeah, I mean, we're still discussing everything at that point. But he's very, very lethargic mm-hmm. and, you know. It, so the girls didn't. Like, see him? Didn't see him for a while. They did come up and see him at the hospital. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, too, we've decided that we're not ready to tell our client yet what's going on. So mm-hmm. if you can imagine. You're trying to keep everything going at, at work. Yeah, like we because we don't know at this point, you know, what to tell them. Right. You know? So I start trying to come up with a strategy of how I'm going to handle our business as well. And I work with our executive leadership team and and my team and the people that work with us directly. And they're doing a great, they did a fabulous job. And then um, the tumor was removed uh, as much as possible. And what's really crazy is um, we ended up being in the same surgery suite, ward, whatever, waiting room. Um, and a friend of mine who had had dinner with yeah, us that they night were also, Their daughter was also friends with ours at the uh-huh. school. And we're at the Clark's dinner. Uh-huh. And they lived down the street from you. Uh-huh. And um, she had a double mastectomy scheduled uh, for breast cancer. And they ended up being in the hospital and in surgery on the exact same day. Wow! Open to so this they discussion. were so you had a support there. 
these people. It was crazy. That's amazing. Well, she had this diagnosis sort of in the midst of all this, right? And hers was also fairly aggressive Mm -hmm. to the point where they scheduled her surgery kind of ASAP. And then they ended up being in in the same on the same day, the surgeries. Yep. Ended up being the Incredible. same day, same place. Wow. Um, but, you know, very different outcome. But um, she's doing great. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy that she is. Um, so the next day was when they came back. And, and I knew when Dr. Bodman called me and said, um, I'll be in at 8 in the morning. We have the biopsy results. And they had told me it would be, a, you know, like maybe a week even. Mm. But they had already told us it looked really bad. We don't know, but it looked really bad. And they didn't get all of it. Well, that they can't. They couldn't because it's like wrapped around things right. that are important. Right. So um, when she called me and said, I'll be in at 8 in the morning, I was like, oh, that was too fast. I just, I just got this, like, sick feeling. And I remember there were two nights that were really, really long. And the first one was that... Um, January 1st, that night that we stayed in the hospital waiting to find out what type of tumor it was for after the first MRI. And then the next one was that night when she called and said, I'll be there at 8 in the morning. And she came in. I'll never forget what room we were in, where we were sitting. I'm very visual in my memories. Mm-hmm. So I'll never forget her coming in and telling us. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think, um, you know, I feel like my life was just a series of all these traumas, um, you know, is having to tell my daughter or daughters that, you know, he has a brain tumor and then having to go back and refresh that with, and he's going to die because this is the most aggressive tumor. And I mean, there's, is there's that no what you were told when, when the doctor came in at 8 a.m.? Did she, what, what did she say? Um, thanks to the Google. Oh, um, Google. Yeah. I already knew, mm-hmm. like, when she said glioblastoma, GBM, I was like, oh. glioblastoma multiform. And then after that, we had to wait for the genetics just to try to find out how to best treat it. But, um, you know, really, the for glioblastomas, um, the treatment and the prognosis has not moved more than, like, a month or two in 30-plus years. Mm. Crazy. There's just nothing that they can do. And one of the struggles, from what I understand, and, you know, I'm not a scientist, um, is that they have trouble getting enough chemo past the blood-brain barrier Mm -hmm. to make Mm -hmm. a difference. Mm -hmm. So um, even though he did not want to do it, Robert did um, do radiation and chemo because we thought that it might buy him a little time, and Mm -hmm. he wanted that. Um, and he did it for me, and I look back, and I, I am glad he did because I think the not knowing of could it have been cured, you know, would have been too terrible. But I'll tell you, watching him suffer and go from the strong, you know, able-bodied man that he was to what physically his body deteriorated to was so hard. Mm-hmm. That was. And so what was the time frame from from the time that you found out until the time he died? So we found out like February 25th. um, And I did take him to Indy Anderson as soon as we got out of the hospital because I was hoping that he could qualify for like a moonshot program. Mm -hmm. And he ended up getting really sick 
and ended up being hospitalized at MD Anderson and was in palliative care when COVID hit. You'll hear more of Dana and Robert's story in the next episode of Every Widow Thinks.